And today we are continuing a, a message or a series that Pastor Frank's been doing, standing on the promises of God. And one of the greatest promises that we stand on is the looking forward to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So today, this message is Signs of the Times. If you'd like to look on the back of your bulletin today, there's an outline, there's scripture, references, and there are blanks to fill out. So I'd love for you to follow along. I think there's a picture coming up. Both uh, my daughter, Brittany, and my granddaughter, Mora, were born in obscure places. Uh, Brittany was born in Margate, Florida, 1983. I graduated from Ohio State. I uh, married my dear wife, Marcella, and we headed down to my first job, a band job, down in Coral Springs, Florida. We were down there for five years. During that time, Brittany uh, was born. And uh, then at the end of that time, God brought us back again. Why do I call it an obscure place? Because this, uh, this town boy had never lived outside of Ohio as a Buckeye. And all of a sudden, I was displaced down in gator country. <laughs> that was, uh, but you know what? We loved it. We, have a, we had a great time down there. But because of family, we came back. Now, fast forward 20 years later... And our first granddaughter, Mora, comes along. And she was born in Hermitage, Pennsylvania. Why in the world was she born there? Well, it's because Pastor Matt felt called for a time to be a worship pastor. And for nine months, he went over to PA and he did that. And he did a very fine job. And during that time, Mora was born in that area. They came back. And why do we call it obscure? Because to this day, I'm not sure what's going on in Hermitage, PA. It's a pretty remote place. It, there's been nothing going on since, since Matt left, amen? <laughs> but in spite of all of that, there were some great similarities in both of those births. They both, both took approximately nine months. Both ladies had amazing food cravings like ice cream, pickles, and bacon, probably all at the same time. There was great discomfort. There was morning sickness. But the greatest similarity of all, there were birth pains. They did not happen at conception. They did not happen to that level during the pregnancy, those nine months. They happened at the end, more intense, stronger, rapid fire, as the time approached, you know where I'm going. Very similar to the signs of the times that the Bible talks about looking forward to the second coming of Christ. Paul said of these things, I don't want you to be ignorant. Jesus said, you're not going to know the day. You're not going to know the hour, but you can know the season. In Matthew 24, 32, he said, when the buds turn into leaves, you know it's summertime. And when you see these signs, you know the time is getting close. So this morning, we're going to look at not all, but some of those signs. So let's get started this morning on the back of your bulletin. Sign number one, Israel restored. Israel restored. This is a big one. God encouraged Ezekiel the prophet And he said to him, don't despair, don't be discouraged, 
Right now, you and your people are in Babylon. You're in exile because of your rebellion. But one day, you're going to come home. You're going to return back to your land. And eventually, you will even become a nation again. Follow with me on the screen just for a moment, if you would. Ezekiel 37, 11 to 14. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the, if you are following in your Bible, you'll want to underline this or jot it in your notes. These bones are the whole house of Israel. Look how they say our bones are dried up and our hope is perished and we are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the Lord God says. I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. My people and lead you into the land of Israel. You will know that I am the Lord, my people, when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you, and you will live. I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know, number two, I am the Lord. I have spoken. I will do it. This is a declaration, number three, of the Lord. Three times he says his personal name, I am the Lord. That's Yahweh or Yahweh. That's the self-existent creator God. You ready? The promise-keeping God. He says, you got my promise on it. This is what's going to happen. This will happen. And of course, we know that it did. So here was Israel, dead as a nation, no king, no temple, divided, dispersed, longing for unification, longing for restoration. And God gives Ezekiel the vision of the dry bones. And he says, you're going to be restored back in your land. And they experienced that at the end of those 70 years of exile. But he also said, you are going to eventually be restored as a nation, as the whole house of Israel indicates. And folks, that did not happen until, drumroll, 1948, right? 1948. Gotquestions.org has a great quote. That's a great website. The return of the Jews to Israel in 48 was an, an astounding, unprecedented event in world history. Never had a decimated ancient people managed to retain their individual identity through almost 20 centuries and reestablish their nation in their original homeland. My words, out of the ashes of the Holocaust, God's great miracle came about. Amen? Something that is amazing even today. But listen to this. The History Channel, which is not a religious organization, <laughs> quote, said this. On May 14, 1948, in Tel Aviv, Jewish agency chairman David Ben-Gurion proclaimed the state of Israel, established the first Jewish state, are you ready, in 2,000 years. 2,000 years. People see it. They admit it. God's miracle. We saw it happen. They came back together, the dry bones, and they've come back with flesh in there as a nation but there's one more part to that verse that hasn't fully happened yet, and that is the Spirit of God being put into them. Zechariah says in Zechariah 12.10 that one day that remnant of Israel in the future will look upon the one whom they pierced, and they'll mourn, and they'll mourn, and there'll be a turning back, and there'll be a full turning to the Lord Jesus. And we know with mourning comes repentance, and with repentance comes salvation, and with salvation comes the Holy Spirit. Amen? That day is still to come. But let's talk about you just for a minute today. In your own life, as the worship song says, 
Many of you have experienced he's turned your graves into gardens. Amen? He's brought your dry bones back to life. He's brought, brought transformation. He's brought restoration to your life. We just sang about that this morning in an amazing way. But if you're here today and you've never experienced that amazing transformation power of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Let me give you a quick reminder, a quick story, if I could, in regards to that. And that is the Pulitzer Prize-winning Chicago Tribune reporter, Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel was an atheist. His wife was an agnostic. And the day came where his wife came to know Jesus Christ as her Savior, and Lee was not happy. His world was rocked. He had not signed up for a Christian wife. And he set out with all of his credentials to disprove Christianity. And over a course of multiple years, he discovered that the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ was insurmountable, and he believed. And he went to his wife, and he says, what do I need to do next? And she quoted to him John 1:12. to as many as received him, he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe on his name. She said, honey, here's what it is. Believe plus receive equals become. You believe, now you need to receive. And right there on that hardwood floor in their house, he prayed and asked Jesus Christ to come into his life as a Savior. And he's been rocking the world ever since. If you've never read Case for Christ, don't delay, get it today. <laughs> so that's the first sign, Israel restored. But let's go on, sign number two today, the rise of the apostate church. Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, he tells the Thessalonians, for the day, that's the day of the Lord, that's a reference to the time from his ascension until the time that he returns, the day of the Lord will not come unless there is an apostasy. That word literally means a falling away until it comes first. And then the man of lawlessness revealed... Who's the man of lawlessness? The Antichrist. That's right. And then after that falling away, the Antichrist will be revealed, the man of doom, that he's doomed for destruction. Now that verse is fully played out in Revelation chapter 17. At this point in time, the true church is gone, and the apostate or the false church is now in conjunction with the global government, as predicted in Revelation 17, and literally or figuratively, the woman rides the beast. But the truth is, there's been an apostasy, there's been a falling away for decades, even if not centuries, that struggle that continues even today. It reminds me uh, of the guy who's in bed, he wakes up on a Sunday morning, he rolls over and says, honey, I'm not going to church today. <laughs> she says, honey, you need to get up you need to go to church. He says, there's no way. I'm not going to church today. She says, you got to go. He said, why? She said, because you're the pastor. <laughs> I don't think that guy was apostate. I think he was just tired. <laughs> That's okay. But in 1948, there's that magic number again. The World Council of Churches was formed in Amsterdam of the Netherlands. 
Since then, they have come to stand for uh, socialism, transgender activity, fluid sexuality, support of abortion, but ultimately the loss of the inerrancy and the integrity of the Word of God from which all other moral issues stem. Say amen this morning. Jesus said, and you know this, in Matthew chapter 7, he said, um, <clears throat> the wise man who hears my words and does them is like the guy that builds his house on the rock, and when the wind and the waves and the storms hit, he's going to stand strong. But if you try to build on any other foundation, your house is going to fall flat. And we know that that is the truth. I think I have another picture coming up. Just a couple of years ago, we had this beautiful oak tree in our backyard. And the birds played in it and sang in it. And the grandkids climbed it. And there was a swing that they swung on. Well, there was a, a fateful day when all the grandkids, praise the Lord, were in the house. My sister-in-law came to visit and parked her car in the driveway. And from inside, we heard a swoosh. And we heard a whoosh. And we looked outside, and that grand tree had fallen on my sister-in-law's driveway. Thank the Lord the car was still drivable, just not as pretty as it used to be. Everybody was safe and sound. And I think that as of today, she has forgiven me. <laughs> but the truth of the matter is this. Why did that grand oak tree fall? Because the roots had rotted out. And folks, that's what happens to us as a church. That's what happens to us individually when we do not stand on the truth of the Word of God anymore. If you're listening to this message today and you're considering a church that has a low view of Scripture, run for the hills. Run for your lives. If today you say you have a high view of Scripture, but you're not standing on it, you're not following it, and you're wondering why every wind and wave of doctrine, of philosophy, of difficulties of life are blowing you all different directions, repent. Get back to the Word. Stand on the integrity and the inerrancy of the Word of God again through the power of the Holy Spirit and find that surety again of foundation in your life. Number three this morning. So we've done Israel restored, the rise of the apostate church. Number three, global government. Before Martin Luther said, Martin Luther King said, I have a dream, Daniel had a dream in, Matthew, in Daniel chapter 7. He dreamed of four beasts coming out of the sea. The first one, the lion represented Babylon. The bear represented Persia. The leopard represented Greece. And those were all uh, enforced all through the book of Daniel, and they're said even literally. But the fourth, which had not occurred, did not occur during the time of Daniel, the great beast was Rome. And then he said there's going to be this great Roman beast, a global power that's going to come about. Of course, that came about during the time of Jesus Christ. But then he said there's going to be a day where it's revived, and there'll be many divisions, and out of those divisions will come a little horn with a big mouth. If you have a friend or a neighbor, do not say that to them right now. It'd be very dangerous. But that day is coming, the little horn with the big mouth. Let's read what it says. It's on the screen, Daniel 7, 23. 
This is what he said. The fourth beast will be a fourth kingdom on the earth, different from all other kingdoms. It will devour how much? The whole earth and trample it down and crush it. A reference to a global end times kingdom. Folks, listen to me. Global domination is nothing new. We, of course, we saw it in the time of the Roman Empire. Later on in 800 AD, Charlemagne tried to conquer all of the world. In 962 AD, Otto the Great tried to conquer all of the world. In 1804 AD, Napoleon tried. And of course, we know in the 20th century to what extent that Hitler tried as well. But there is a day coming when this Antichrist, this man of lawlessness, will be revealed. He will set up initially a seven-year peace treaty uh, with Israel, but halfway through, he's going to break it, and he's going to begin a persecution like has never been seen before. But by Revelation chapter 19, he does battle with the King of Kings and with the Lord of Lords, and we know who wins, and we know the end of the story. Amen, church. So those are the promises and the truths that we hang on to. Elmer Towns, theologian, co-founder of Liberty University along with Jerry Falwell, wrote this in the 1980s. Listen to this. Today our society appears to be moving toward a place where such a world government would be acceptable. With many major and minor crises that have confronted world leaders in recent years, They have adopted an internationalist view of world politics. Some have cited organizations like United Nations and European Common Market as possible patterns for an international government. It is generally agreed that such a government would demand a strong leader. Since a world government will arise after the return of Christ, many see present trends toward it, setting the stage for his return. 40-year-old prophetic message applicable even for today, the rise of global government. But there's a fourth one today, if you want to fill in the blank, and that's the implications of ecology. In Matthew 24, Jesus answers the questions of his disciples, what are the signs of your coming? And he says this, follow with me on the screen, Matthew 24, 7, for nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, There will be famines. Uh, New King James includes uh, in the translation pestilence, which is disease, and earthquakes in various places. All of these are the beginning of sorrows. That literally means the beginning of birth pains. The beginning of birth pains, which we talked about earlier. Now, theologians tell us that there are no signs needed for the next event on the prophetic calendar, and that is the rapture of the church. The signs that Jesus talked about, the time period he was talking about in Matthew 24, was the tribulation. And from a pre-trib viewpoint, the church is already gone. And so he talks about these signs. In fact, in Revelation, we find those signs that we just read about are on steroids as the Uh, as the seals are broken, the trumpets are sounded, and the bowls of wrath are poured out, right? So there's this intensity of signs that happen during the tribulation 
after the church has been raptured. But let me say to you this morning, today, if you see Christmas items for sale, and it's not even Thanksgiving yet, how much closer is Thanksgiving than Christmas? You get the point? And in the very same way, if the signs are given for the second coming of Christ, but we're already beginning to see those signs and the rapture hasn't occurred yet, how much closer is the rapture than the second coming? See, the rapture, the rapture and the second coming are two different events. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 tells us that there's a day coming when the Lord returns for His church and we're caught up to meet Him in the air. But then seven years later, He comes back with us riding on white horses with robes of righteousness to return to do battle against Satan and the Antichrist at the end of the book of Revelation. And at that point in time, we touch down. First time in the air, second time we touch down, read it literally, it says it very clearly. Two different events. If we see that things are getting closer, hang on tight, buckle your seatbelts, amen? Uh, Recently, of course, uh, we've all seen the, the rise of monkey, monkey pox, and maybe now that has slowed down. I don't know if you know it or not, but simultaneously with monkey, monkey pox, there's been a shortage of bananas. <laughs> and that is what you call a dad joke. <laughs> but truthfully, the dispatch said this this week. Just this week, the dispatch, court upholds block on Arkansas's trans surgery ban for minors. Ukrainian presence said the whole world's future is being decided by this war against Russia. And listen to this one. In in an article about Amazon, the company is testing palm scanning technology that allows customers to pay for items by storing Biometric data in the cloud triggered by your palm to be able to buy and to sell. I'm so glad they're not implanting it in my brain. There'd be no connection. (laughs) But people, here's what I'm saying this morning. We're not there yet, but I submit the birth pains are becoming more frequent, more intense as the time gets closer. Sign number five, morality lost. Go ahead right now, if you would, and look in your pew Bible. (laughs) I just used an old word. Your chair Bible. And turn to page 1056, because I want us to read this together. This is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. In the chair Bible, page 1056. 2 Timothy chapter 3, 1 to 5. Let's read it together. Ready, go. But know this hard times will come in the last days, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, demeaning, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors. Reckless, conceited, lover of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Holding to a form of godliness but denying its power, 
Avoid these people. That means avoid that kind of influence that's going to pull you in a wrong direction. We are watching our society morally implode. We're watching a gener- generation digress. We're watching the snowball spiraling at downward speeds faster and faster all the time. And this passage is amazing that it we can read it, and the minute we read it, we recognize. We make the connection so quickly, and yet it was penned 2,000 years ago. So here's my big question this morning to all of this, to these uh, highlighted signs this morning. Not all of the signs, but a handful of them. What is our response? So when we consider Israel restored, the rise of the apostate church, global government, implications of ecology and morality lost, what is our response? Uh, fear, worry, flight, <laughs> sell everything on a hill, wait for his return as you contemplate the lint in your navel. You know, spend our every day studying every jot and tittle and nuance of Bible prophecy, trying to understand every bit of it to the neglect of everything else, or put your head in the sand and pretend it's not real, that it's not going to happen. I say no to all of those things. We need a biblical response, and luckily the Bible is very clear. Uh, 2 Corinthians 15.58 is up here on the screen. And so Paul is speaking to the Corinthians, and he's given a dissertation on the resurrection of the dead. He said, they said, what's going to happen? He said, listen, there's going to be a day when not all of you will sleep. That's a reference to death. But at the trumpet sound, at the shout of the archangel, as the Lord returns, they're going to, be, they're going to rise up And they're going to get their brand new bodies that never grow old, that never die, exchanging morality for immortality. I better get those words straight or I'm in trouble. (laughs) Corruption for incorruption, bodies that last forever and ever. And then he said, by the way, you that are alive and remain, then you're going to get caught up and you're going to get your brand new bodies also. So he gives this whole end time scenario And then he tells them what they need to do based on what he just taught. Let's look at it. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in. If it's your Bible, underline it, the the Lord's work, because you know your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Okay, so that's, there you just got it. There's the marching orders. We're still here. The church is still here. The Holy Spirit is still alive and well. We still have our marching orders today, and that's to do the work of the Lord. What is the work of the Lord? Well, I thought back to when Jesus was 12 years old. He and his parents uh, go to the Passover in Jerusalem. And the parents leave, but Jesus doesn't. And they get down the road, and they realize they can't find him. Home alone. They turn around. And they head back to try to find Jesus. Three days later, they find him in the temple doing a Bible study with the Pharisees. (laughs) And they said, what in the world were you thinking? And Jesus says, don't you know I needed to be about my father's business? That's the work of the Lord. We too need to be about our father's business. And we know what that is. He gave us the great commission to go and make disciples of all nations. 
He gave us the great commandment to love God with all heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourselves. He told Peter, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Amen? We're, we get to be part of the church building process to lead more souls to Jesus Christ in preparation for that great day when he returns. I'm so excited about a new ministry launching today called Hands of Christ. They're showing the love of Christ in tangible ways to those in need. You're going to hear all about it in announcement videos in just a little bit, but you'll be able to stop in at their table today right back here in the Connection Center and get more information on that incredible new ministry. What is God's business? Check out Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 on the screen. The context here is the writer saying, listen, don't you fall back. Don't you look back. Don't you go backwards. You keep persevering in your faith and moving ahead. Here's how he says it. Therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses. Who is that great cloud of witnesses? Well, Hebrews chapter 11, the faith hall of famers, right? Guess who's part of that today? My dad. He snuck away on us a few days ago. Actually, 8-8. Eight, eight. <laughs> a little more than a few days. But dad's up there. And he's rooting us on, he's rooting you on, and you have loved ones who love Jesus Christ who are up there today. They're part of that great cloud of witnesses as well. And what does he say we should do? Let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and then he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God the Father. So what do we need to do? We need to, we need to throw off the hindrances. I understand that when racers train for a race, they wear weights. And those weights help them to get stronger and stronger. But when the day comes for them to actually run the official race, they take the weights off so they can run like the wind. And we're called to throw off the weights as well. Those weights aren't necessarily bad things. They could be habits, but they could just be some fun hobbies or, or minute muggers or anything that takes away from our mission. Like Song of Solomon said, don't let the little foxes get in the garden. I'm not saying not to have hobbies. I'm saying don't let them become more important than the main thing in your life. And keep that mission and keep that focus. And then he says, get rid of the sin that so easily entangles. And for the Hebrews, their sin was the sin of unbelief, of shrinking back. But whatever that sin is for you and for me today, a little bit ago, I talked about some strong societal issues that we deal with and that we focus on today. But I'm happy to say this morning that whatever that sin, whatever that entanglement, whatever that thing is, that habit or hurt or hang up is in your life that's pulling you down, that Jesus came for you. He came and he died on that cross for you and me. He took that sin. He took your sin and my sin. He took our place on the cross so that we can find forgiveness, so that we can find freedom, so that we can run our race with full gusto. Amen? Use the antidote. Pastor Frank mentioned it last week, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, he is 
faithful to forgive us our sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And finally he says, and then run with endurance. Why? Because we have a finish line. And Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, is waiting there for us. And we keep our eyes on him and we'll keep going the right direction. When I was a sophomore in high school, I actually did run track for one season. And my race was the 880, two times around the track. I could do it now today on a bicycle. (laughs) And I'd beat them all. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) But I remember my greatest race. It was against a kid at Beechcroft High School. For some reason, it was just the two of us who showed up for the 880. And the the gun went off, whatever it was, and we ran. And we ran like the wind. And we made it around one time, and we were pretty close. But then the second time around, he got ahead of me. And he got a pretty good 40 or 50 feet ahead, maybe. Eh, Maybe not that far. But anyways, maybe 20 feet ahead. And we were coming around the last lap, and I somehow started catching up with him. And I caught, it, I caught up with him at the finish line, nose to nose, but he won by a fingernail. Why do I call that the greatest race? Because it was my fastest time I ever ran. And he pushed me. Looking back, you know what I think it was that pushed me forward? The finish line. Keeping my eye on that finish line and running as hard as I could. And that's what we're called to do as well. Amen, church? To run, to run with endurance, to keep pushing forward, keeping our eyes on Jesus the whole time. Eugene Peterson, uh, the uh, paraphraser of the Living Bible, said this. Eugene Peterson calls a God-focused life a long obedience in the same direction. A God-focused life is a long obedience in the same direction. You're running your race. There's going to be things that want to sidetrack you. Your view's going to go this way. You're going to look that way. But if you want to stay faithful, keep that long obedience in the same direction through the help and the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me give you one more item that is all about being about the Father's business today, and that's the parable in Matthew 25, 14 to 30. And I'll just paraphrase it for you real quick. So the master calls his servants in and he says, guys, I'm leaving. I'm going to leave my estate to you during the time that I'm gone. I got to go on a trip. He says to the first servant, I'm going to give you uh, five talents equivalent to money. He says to the second service, I'm going to give you two talents. And he says to the third servant, I'm going to give you one talent. And I want you to be good stewards of my estate while I'm gone. So he goes away. But the day comes where he comes back. And he calls his stewards, his servants, into account. And he says to the first guy, so how'd you do? And the first guy says, I doubled your talents, master. He said, awesome. Then he said to the second guy, how'd you do? I doubled your talents, master. Fantastic. And then he said to the third guy, how'd you do? He said, well, you're a mean guy. And you're tough. I'm a little scared of you. So I just buried it. (laughs) Here's the one back that you gave me. Guys, listen. Jesus had the greatest words of commendation for the two faithful servants. 
and his strongest words of rebuke against the unfaithful servant. And I don't know about you, but on that day, I want to hear the good words. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into my rest. And that happens as we keep our eyes fixed on the finish line and don't get pulled all different directions until that day when the master returns. Till that day when the master returns.